on the TV, on the radio, and even social media. Everyone has become a debater. Hotheads, hot takes, and lots of hot air are now the norm. But only one can be the master debater. This is Master Debaters from News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. It is, and I'm Dennis Foley. Welcome to Master Debaters, a show where the best argument wins. Joining us this week can be heard every weekday on the Dana Cortez Show, and that's on many stations across the country, including Energy 94.1 in San Antonio, Power 98.3 in Phoenix, and Kiss 97.3 in Albuquerque. Please welcome Anthony A. Hey! What's up, guys? Thank y'all for pleasure for having me. Excited to be here on Master Debaters. And uh, yeah, man, let's have a fun time. Uh, also, another alias I go by is Young Grammar Error. So I apologize if anything I mispronounce or use anything out of context. It's my vernacular. I was actually released from a gang because I'm dyslexic. We'll get to that later. But thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Very interesting. Well, you can hear our next contestant every weekday afternoon on the BuzzFeed podcast, News O'Clock, found anywhere podcasts can be found. Please welcome Hayes Brown. Hey, Hayes. Hi, glad to be here, and I'm excited to meet all of you digitally and to crush you with my arguments. It's going to be great. Oh, excellent. And our final contestant can be heard here, there, and anywhere, including places like KTSA in San Antonio, WBAP in Dallas-Fort Worth, and many, 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 many other places. Please welcome Casey Bartholomew. Hey. Hey, how you guys doing? I'm just here for the food. Oh, that's... Uh... <laughs> Got some bad news about that, but uh, they will all be presenting arguments in an effort to try to win over our judge, who this week is Katie from Londonderry, New Hampshire. Her job is to analyze and critique each response our contestants uh, to uh, that I present to our uh, contestants, and that's going to be uh, throughout the show. And along with asking the questions, I'm also the show's referee. So if I hear something that I don't like from you guys, I'm going to play this whistle. And yeah, that just means I'm angry, or I'll give out penalty points or whatever but before we get started let's say hi to katie hey katie hi how's it going very good now uh before we actually get the game going itself let's give our contestants a chance to get to know katie a little bit better uh you'll each get one question to ask her anthony got any questions for katie of course pleasure to meet you miss katie my first question to you katie is what's your favorite rap song uh, uh, sorry, I, I don't listen to much rap, but when I was, I think, eight years old, I used to listen to Eminem. Um, it was like two trailer park girls around the outside, around the outside, around the outside, and there's like a chick chick book, and it was like really funny. Um, so my friends and I used to listen to that song a lot. I think it's called Without Me. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Hayes, you have any questions for, have a question, only one question for one question. One question. All right, Katie. Hello. Nice, nice to meet you. Uh, I guess my question nice you. for you is, uh, are you a fan of the Jurassic Park movies? Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, m- mostly the, the later ones. I'm not going to lie. I uh, usually, the earlier ones, I, I just haven't seemed to have lived a very sheltered life. Uh, so I, I read the Wikipedia mm. articles about them so I could pretend that I knew about them, but I haven't seen them. And Casey. Close enough. That works. Casey, do you have a question for Katie? <laughs> yeah, Katie, do you have any kids? I do. It's so sweet of you to ask. I have, um, she's almost three. Her name's Elizabeth, and she is uh, a handful. Definitely a handful. A, a great little handful. 
Awesome. All right. Well, I guess it's time to play. Opening arguments on Master Debaters. Yes, opening arguments. In this segment, I will give each combatant one question. That combatant answers that question, and our judge, Katie, will give them a score between 0 and 10 points. They will have 30 seconds for their argument, and a buzzer will let them know when time is up. First up is Anthony. Anthony, Disney is out with its remake of Mulan, making it available on its Disney Plus service for 30 bucks. But it's run into a few issues among them. Last summer during mass protests in Hong Kong where security forces beat demonstrators, Mulan's star, American actress Liu Fei, expressed support on social media for the Hong Kong police. Disney tried to repair the damage, insisting that it was apolitical, but it's now facing calls for a boycott of Mulan. They are in bed with a part of the Chinese Communist Party that has committed horrific human rights abuses. We did ask Disney about their decision to shoot in Xinjiang, but the company has made no comment. That CBS's Elizabeth Palmer reporting. Would world events and an actor's involvement in them make you reconsider watching a film? 30 seconds, Anthony. If they're going to go ahead and continue production midway through, then yes, it is going to impact me because it's going to, it's an active thing. There's people there actively going to work every day. It's currently going on. If the movie was already wrapped and done and it happened to take place there, then it wouldn't make my decision. But since it's going on active and you could, you know, you could possibly be putting people at risk if you're just talking like a literal health threat for those working there. So I do believe it would, I wouldn't not support that. Uh, with the world issues going on. Yes. Katie, score of 0 to 10. What would you score that? I would give him a 7. Yes. Uh, you know, he mentioned like an active health threat, and I feel like the, you know, the the issues with Hong Kong weren't really as, as health-related as, as maybe human rights in general. Um, and so I, I felt like it was almost like a, a parallel with what else was happening in China. Um, so that's why he got docked three points. But otherwise, it was a good argument. Okay. Hayes, your next. Employers are generally not required to tell workers when someone in the workplace has tested positive for the coronavirus. The CDC recommends that companies monitor workers for symptoms and alert those who may have been in contact with an infected person. Those are just guidelines and not being enforced, though some states may order businesses to follow stricter rules. Do you think businesses should be telling workers who has coronavirus and who doesn't? Or is that something that should be protected under HIPAA laws? 30 seconds for you, Hayes. They should absolutely let workers know whether someone they work with has coronavirus. Because if you're actually in the office and you're actually coming near people, you're going up to them. You're asking them for, hey, do you get that document? Do you have that TPS form? And you're uh, talking to them in very close proximity. And I think that if they are hiding the fact that someone has tested positive for coronavirus, what are they doing in the office? Why are you near them? You should be at home quarantining and you should be able to know if you should be staying away from other people. And if they hide that, I think that they should be penalized for it in some way. I, yeah, used up all my time that fast. All right, Katie's score of zero to 10. What do you rank that? I would give him an eight. He called it a TPS form when it's a TPS report. Just saying. But otherwise, great argument. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Casey, you're next. We've reached the start of a new football season. Third and 10 of the Lions 20. When NFL teams take to the field this year, they won't do so to pack stadiums. And while that will no doubt have a different feel, an analysis by ESPN estimates that the crowds are actually only a small piece of the puzzle for that home field advantage. Even with COVID-19 changing the atmosphere, road teams will still face challenges. Denver will still have its altitude, for example. Warm weather teams will still have to weather the winter. And travel will always present challenges. 
Mark Remillard, ABC News. So, Casey, how will the coronavirus change the way you watch football? It won't. I watch football on TV, and I'm going to keep watching it on TV. I couldn't care less where they're playing or who's playing against who. Uh, I just want to see a good football team. I want to see things be competitive, and I want to try to get back to more of a sense of normalcy than we've had before. And if they have to do that with uh, less crowded stadiums, that's fine. I never paid attention to who was in the crowd anyway, and I'm not going to start now. All I want to see is football. That's it. Okay. Another five That's all I have. And by the way, Katie is a very attractive young woman. I'd just like to say that right off. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, 30 seconds are up. Katie, what do you score that? You know, I was going to give him a 10, but then he tried to call into question my attractiveness, and it just felt like I was kind of, you know, it was one thing to ask for me. Very attractive. Sweet, but, like, you don't even know what I look like. It feels very dishonest. I'm anyway. a person of audio memes, and I can tell by the voice that you portray. No, no, docking. It's know, good. Continue. Okay, I'll cut, I'll bring it up to an eight point five. So that's as far as you're getting. Again, I just feel a little. Uh, I am about your child. Eight point five. It is. All right. Well, coming up, you may be taking a drug that's turning into a risk taker. We'll debate that and more next on Masturbators from KTSa. This is Master Debaters, the show where the best argument wins. It is, and the fun is just beginning. We have Anthony A. Hayes Brown and Casey Bartholomew this week competing to convince our judge, Katie from New Hampshire, that, that uh, their argument is the best argument. And if you'd like to be a judge on a future edition of Master Debaters, head over to our website, ktsa.com slash masterdebaters to enter to be our next adjudicator. Let's keep the debate going. For argument's sake on Master Debaters. In this segment, I will give all three contestants the same question. They will each take a turn presenting their argument on it. After they all take their 30 seconds to respond, our judge will then give each of them a score of anywhere from 0 to 10 points for their responses. We're going to start with Anthony. This was the political story of the week, or the hot political story of the week. At his first coronavirus briefing in late February, the president compared COVID to the flu as he urged Americans to wash their hands. You don't have to necessarily grab every handrail unless you have to. But in an interview with Bob Woodward nearly three weeks earlier, Mr. Trump sounded much more serious about the threat. You just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. On March 19th, he told Woodward he intentionally downplayed the threat. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. Woodward's book, Rage, is published by Simon & Schuster, a division of Viacom CBS. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News. All right, so in work, in your personal life, or even the political world, would you rather have a boss in terms of work or a friend or partner in terms of your personal life that always paints a rosy picture, even when things are turning very, very bad, or someone who is over-cautionary and overly concerned about any bad situation? Anthony, 30 seconds. As a person who considers himself a risk-taker, I understand the importance of having somebody like that on your team but at the end of the day you need somebody you need a leader who's going to be blatantly honest with you no matter how good it is or how bad the truth is going to be in order for you to prepare your livelihood going forward if you're talking in a workplace uh yeah we're coexisting here because i'm getting a paycheck from you so down the road if something's going to get impacted by that i didn't know to, to understand how to shift my life now if we're talking another health issue like we're talking with the 44th yeah. uh hayes you get 30 seconds now 
So both personal and work life, I would rather have someone who's overly cautious. I'd rather have someone who knows where the boundaries are so you can push on them. So you can push the edge and figure out where things stand. Now, in your personal life, I like being able to like convince someone like, no, we're gonna have a great time doing this. It's going to be awesome. But I also like it when someone can point out like, here are the flaws in your argument because I'm a what great debater, everyone. I like making sure that my arguments are airtight. And so I want someone who will push back, who will make sure that I know what I'm talking about when I'm actually making an argument. Casey, 30 seconds for you. And I think it depends on the circumstances. If you're talking about Donald Trump, we had a situation where people were beating each other up over rolls of toilet paper in stores. And in order to keep there from being mass hysteria, gun sales were going through the roof. He needed to present an image of calm. That's a different thing than being in the workplace where we're all on the same team and we all have to make sure we're all trying to achieve the same goal here. So what Trump did, I think, was fine just for safety purposes. In the real world, though, we all need to be fighting for the same goal. Once again, I'd like to say, oh, never mind. <laughs> Katie, uh, what scores you want to give out? Want to start with Anthony? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I appreciated, you know, Anthony's anecdotal evidence, um, you know, that he wanted someone that's blatantly honest. But the question was actually asking, you know, do you want someone that paints a rosy picture or that's really overly cautious? Um, which is actually a, a quote from Hayes. So I'm, I, once again, I'm going to give Anthony a seven because I feel like he didn't quite answer the question. He he gave like a, an option C. Blatantly honest is, is really a realistic view, whereas you were looking at optimistic or pessimistic. Um, so seven. Okay, and Hayes and Casey? Um, so Hayes, uh, I actually really appreciated your response. As someone who considers herself a conscientious catastrophizer, I am overly cautious and I'm consistently... <laughs> you know, telling my husband, um, you know, all the risks of any situation that he's presenting. Um, so I, I personally found that to be the, the most um, effective argument simply because I'm biased and I'm okay with admitting that. I'm giving you a 10. Um, and Casey, I feel like while you were, you were trying to give a, you know, overall a, a good display of the, the background information, I never really felt like you answered the question. So I'm gonna give you a six. Well, and my uh, cat just jumped over the table and the dogs tried to get her. This is great. Sorry for the background noise, guys. Over the cat issue. Uh, let's move on to the next question. So uh, better look out for this drug that's reportedly turning you into a risk taker. Taking Tylenol may do more than just provide some pain relief. A new study from The Ohio State University found that taking acetaminophen may also cause a person to take greater risks than they would otherwise. It was part of research to see how popular pain relievers affect decision-making. It's estimated 25% of the U.S. population takes acetaminophen each week. Jim Crisula, CBS News. So uh, do you think acetaminophen, also known as Tylenol, makes people take bigger risk? Hayes, you start. I absolutely do not. I refuse to believe this because not because Tylenol is a great company. They had a lot of problems in the past about things that went into their drug. Not because I think that it's impossible that people take a lot of risk when they take acetaminophen. I don't believe it because of the source, because it comes from the, uh, the Ohio State University. And what good has ever come out of Ohio? This I ask you. Answer, nothing. So given the source of this information, I cannot abide by it. I cannot agree with the idea that, uh, that Tylenol gives, makes you take risk because I can't Take a Buckeye's word. I just cannot do it. Casey, what do you think? 
A CMNFN can uh, make people a little jittery if they take too much of it. Uh, in fact, if you take too much Tylenol, you can actually kill yourself. So uh, an argument can be made that uh, just by taking Tylenol, you're taking a risk. But when people get a little jittery and feel a little more active, they can be a little more inclined to move towards things and do things they may not ordinarily do. So while I don't think it actually uh, will give you the... Uh, confidence or whatever you need to go out into the world and conquer things, I think it can make you or give you the energy at least to step out of your comfort zone a little bit more just because of the theory. Uh, Anthony, what do you think? I believe that as a matter of fact, it helps you take less risk because you do get that mental clarity from whatever pain it's relieving. Although I do agree that it can get you the jitters though. Most of the time when you're taking it is to relieve some type of pain. For me personally, maybe after too many Sunday fun days turns into oops, it's Monday, I'll take a Tylenol, helps me power through my day. Where if I didn't, I was probably more likely to take a risk out of just being frustrated with life because I'm having a headache. Katie, what do you want to give out? Okay, so for Hayes, uh, good argument, but I really didn't like that your reasoning for not taking the information was simply because it came from the Ohio State. It, it's really not uh, effective to to research if, if you're going to just discount based on the initial, you know, I mean, there's still a, a reputable university. So I'm giving the six. Um, Are they? I love, I know it's just, again, I, you know, I just, it feels like you're, you're being too, too biased there, but I, again, you did so well on the previous question. Um, Casey, I love that you brought up uh, the, the fact about Tylenol, including that it can cause liver failure if you overdose on it. And for that, I gave you a 10 just because I think that's really important for people to know and for people to be careful about. Uh, and then finally, Anthony, um, you know, very good point. I also um, suffer from a couple hangovers every now and then from Sunday, Sunday. Uh, and yes, I also take Tylenol for my headache. So I gave you an eight. Uh, the police chief in the Connecticut's largest city was arrested on charges that he got his job by cheating. Bridgeport Police Chief Armando Perez allegedly schemed in 2018 to rig the police chief exam to make sure he was given the job. Federal prosecutors said the city's personnel director, David Dunn, stole the exam questions and emailed them to Perez, who then enlisted two officers to draft his answers. Perez ultimately got a five-year contract and a payout of more than $300,000 in accrued leave. Prosecutors said Bridgeport citizens and police officers deserve leaders with integrity. Perez and Dunn were each charged with fraud and lying to the FBI. Aaron Katursky, ABC News, New York. If one test, one test could affect your future in your career, would you cheat on it? And how far would you be willing to go to cheat on that? Casey, 30 seconds. And no, because uh, it's been my experience that no matter what you do, if you cheat on a test, if you lie, if you aren't honest with people, somehow, some way down the line, it's going to come back and it's going to get you. I would rather get a job on what I'm capable of doing and uh, the information that I have in my head so that nobody can trip me up and so that I'm not exposed as a fraud later on down the road. Because if that's the case, then my entire future is shot over one test. I'd rather have the integrity of uh, doing things the right way the first time. Anthony, 30 seconds. Absolutely not. I've been a really bad test taker since they've been putting letters into math problems. So if there's a job field that requires me to take one test, I would probably find a different job field, which is why I kind of talk for a living. We're scaled differently. But under no circumstances should you build your whole career off of a lie. That's just not going to be good going forward at all. So no, I would absolutely not cheat on any test, nor would I, I would just decline the offers to cheat. Okay. 
Hayes, 30 seconds. I'm going to go a bit of the opposite route because you know what, Katie, you're from the new, you're from New Hampshire, the live for your die state. You guys do things your own way and you believe in taking whatever path is necessary to get to what you need. You believe in that idea of freedom. And you know, I, I stand by that. I think that whatever it takes for you to achieve your dream, and I'm, I'm assuming this is your dream career, your dream job. What kind of a person are you if you don't do whatever it takes to make sure that you get this job? Yes, you should absolutely study. You should do your best on this exam, but whatever advantage comes your way, you should seize it. Much like the people of New Hampshire seize the chance not to wear seatbelts for a long time. All right, Katie, uh, what do you think of the arguments? Uh, once again, um, so Casey, I, I loved your response. I, I think honesty is really something that I respect very highly, um, something that I'm trying to build with my daughter's integrity and that if you don't effectively earn something, it's really not yours. Um, you don't deserve to be there. So once again, I give you a 10. Um, Anthony, I also really appreciated your argument and saying like, well, if it involves algebra, I'm really not even meant to have that role. I think that's a really effective, honest way to look at it um, and very pragmatic. So I also gave you a ton. Hey, you know, we were just doing so well at the beginning, but gosh, I, you know, for, for you to bring up seatbelts and stuff, I mean, when, when Ralph Nader required seatbelts as a, attorney general, I, I feel like he really um, stepped stepped up the, the requirements and, and safety for the entire United States. Um, and although I do live in New Hampshire, I, I really would never, ever, ever advocate for someone to lie or cheat on a job application. So I'm going to give you a four. All right. Live for your die. Live for your die. That's what happens. All right. Next question. The most popular baby names in 2019. According to the Social Security Administration, Olivia is now the number one name for girls, beating out Emma, which held the top spot for the past five years. The name Ava came in third. For boys, Liam is the most popular name for the third year in a row, followed by Noah and Oliver. And that's correspondent Diane King Hall. So, uh, Anthony, do you like those names? 30 seconds. First of all, I'll leave with Ava. I'm a big fan of one-syllable names. That's beautiful. Olivia, can't go wrong with that. It's very open to a lot of nicknames. So I see where the trend is going. Now, me, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. We don't grow up with many Liams around us. Maybe a Luis Alvarez or something like that. Liam, something I'm not, ah, I don't think that has the same broad stroke as Ava or Olivia. So I'm not mad at the girls' names. Not a fan of Liam. Hayes, what do you think of those names? I can see why they're popular. I can see why if you want to conform and you want to like have a name that uh, a lot of people, other kids have, I can see why you would lean towards those names. They're classic. A lot of them are like historical, almost biblical. Yeah. But I think that I, I'm going to try and pander to you again here, Katie, because I'm sure that there were many Kates, Catherines, Katie's, et cetera, in your classes growing up. And I think that you should try to avoid, if you can, the most popular names when you are trying to name your child. You should try to find something that, you know, fits them well and, you know, maybe has a history in your family, but isn't the most popular otherwise you have 12 kates in the class casey 30 seconds what do you think uh you know you're talking to somebody whose name is casey and it's uh i believe i looked over that list and i don't believe it has ever been higher than 80th in the uh, name popularity and uh, it's a name that can go either way and i went to an all boys high school so uh, i got teased about my name my whole life if somebody feels strong about a name and you pick a name and that's what you want to call your child knock yourself out more power to you 
because again, I spent my whole life uh, people asking me whether or not I was a man or a woman when they couldn't hear my voice. So whatever you want to name your kid, whatever makes you happy, pack yourself up. Katie, did you like the arguments? Uh, yeah. So Anthony, really good try, but you said that Ava was a one-syllable name, uh, and it's two, so I gave you a six. Um, oh. Hayes, you are absolutely right. Uh, I was one of four Katies in my daycare, and there was a little toddler boy that thought that Katie was synonymous with girl, so I gave you a 10. Um, and Casey, your argument really actually struck me well because I named my daughter Elizabeth Danger as her middle name, Danger. Awesome. And part of my yeah. family actually tried to bribe me not to name her with Danger as my middle name, as her middle name, um, and we went with it anyway. And so I really, it really resonated with me, your argument. I gave you a 10. Yeah. All right. Next question. Texas Governor Greg Abbott wants all political candidates in Texas to sign a pledge backing the blue. I'm calling on every Texan and every candidate for public office, regardless of party affiliation, to join me in signing a pledge against defunding our police department. So whether it's this pledge or others that other people like politicians, fret bros, hate groups, love groups want you to take, should people force other people to take pledges? We'll start with Hayes, 30 seconds. So I think it depends on the context here. I think that, yes, you should be able to request, strongly suggest that people sign on to a pledge if it's something that you really, truly believe in. Like, I want people to sign on to this pledge that says that maybe we shouldn't kill the planet. I want people to sign this pledge that says, you know, racism is bad. I think that if you're asking people to sign on to a pledge that says we will never defund these government employees who work for the state, despite their many, many, many acts against the people of this government, of this uh, society, probably not so much. So I think that you should have the option to ask people to sign on to petitions. I don't think you should make it mandatory. Casey, should you, should people be able to force other people to take pledges? Uh, I don't see the point in having a politician sign anything. I also don't think it's the fairest thing in the whole wide world because you never know how things are going to change. Everybody, uh, before recent events happened, everybody probably would have signed a pledge that said they support the blue, they back the blue. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that bad things happen and there are bad police officers out there. There are more good police officers, but there are bad police officers out there. And uh, have someone sign a pledge when they don't have a crystal ball to work with and see what's going to happen in the future, I don't think that's a uh, that's very pertinent. I think you just take them at their word and hold them to it. Anthony, 30 seconds. Should people force other people to take pledges? Nobody should force anybody to do anything they don't want to. I think what you should do is find your peers and inform them and educate them on what you know and see if, where they align with it. Now, don't ever force nobody to do with something outside of their belief. And especially if we're talking in relation to what Governor Abb is talking about in regard to a sweeping signature across the grand state of Texas, that just won't work. So no, nobody should force anybody to sign anything. You should educate your peers. Katie, what do you think? All right, Hayes, I gave you an eight. I thought it was a very effective argument, um, but I actually disagreed with your, your point of ever uh, forcing someone to sign a pledge, I think I think it's better to hold them at their word. Casey, uh, I gave you a 10 because I completely agree with what you said. And Anthony, you as well, I gave you a 10. All right, next question or next topic. Microsoft has announced the price for its new Xbox game consoles with the Series S costing $300 and the Series X costing $500. However, 
Microsoft realizes that's pretty pricey, so they're going to break up that cost for you. This is called Xbox All Access. It's going to be available in 12 countries, including the United States, and it'll offer the Xbox Series X for $35 per month and the entry-level console, the Xbox Series S, for $25 a month. And in both cases, you get access to Microsoft's subscription video game services, too. That's CNET editor-at-large, Ian Schur. So is Microsoft's Xbox or Sony's new PlayStation 5 on your holiday shopping list? We're going to start with Casey. Uh, I have the slight disadvantage of having a 12-year-old son, uh, and uh, he likes video games. We are limited uh, as to how often you can play them, but he likes them. Uh, the reality is, though, that we only just recently got a PlayStation 4, and this past Christmas we got the virtual reality uh, PlayStation uh, game. Uh, I don't think it's going to be on our Christmas list this year because I don't believe in dropping hundreds of dollars on something until we've worn out the one before that. So if somebody has the money, knock yourself out, but it's not going to be on my Christmas list. Anthony, is it on your holiday shopping list? No, I'm a PlayStation loyalist, so that PlayStation 5 is on my holiday shopping list. But I do like what they're doing here. Uh, it's going to open up a whole tier of young gamers who I don't think financially their parents could be able to afford a brand new gaming system. And if we look through this COVID pandemic, esports is the only sport that didn't drop off. As a matter of fact, it's seen an uptick in entries and money. So I can definitely see why this is going to benefit Microsoft and some future gamers going forward. But it's not on my list. And Hayes, are either of these systems on your holiday shopping list? Uh, yes, I believe that they both will be. No, I'm sorry, just the Xbox will be. We are an Xbox household because of brand loyalty because my fiance's sister has been dating for a long time someone who works for Microsoft. So we are an Xbox household. And so I, as much as I love our current system, I do think that once the new one is available, we will want to upgrade because uh, we play a lot of video games, both me and her. In fact, she's actually more intense about it. So she will be the one who is demanding that it'd be on the Christmas list. Not so much me. Like, I play a couple of games. She is all for it. So, yes. I feel like there could be a side debate between PlayStation and Xbox. But, Katie, what scores are you giving out? All right. So, let's see here. Casey, I once again gave you a 10 because I love that you're having the kid use the old system until they wear it out. Very important. Better for the environment. Better for everyone um, that we develop habits there. Anthony, the question was actually whether you would buy an Xbox or a PlayStation. And you said that you were brand loyal to PlayStation. So you, you would have answered yes. But I did appreciate um, your argument. Otherwise, I gave you an eight. And Hayes, you know what they say, happy wife, happy life, man. I'm giving you a 10 because you are embracing your fiance's desire. So love it. All right. Well, coming up, our debaters have been waiting all week to tell the world something that's been on their mind. You'll hear what it is and what the competitors think about it next on Masturbators from KTSA. This is Master Debaters from 550 KTSA and FM 1071. I'm Dennis Foley. Joining us this week is Dana Cortez show co-host Anthony A., BuzzFeed's News O'Clock podcast host Hayes Brown, and talk radio host Casey Bartholomew, who are all working to coerce our judge, Katie, to give them more points and their fellow competitors. Let's keep this debate going. State your case on Master Debaters. 
So our competitors before the show came in with a topic they wanted to talk about, a case they wanted to present to our judge. They will get 90 seconds to do so. During those 90 seconds, if the other combatants wish to challenge, they will get 45 seconds each after the case is done being presented to present their challenge. After all those challengers are done, the original presenter will get their own 45 seconds to address the challengers. If they change their topic, I will assess an automatic five-point penalty, and now there are more points at stake in this round. Our judge can now give up to 20 points at the end of each topic or take away up to 20 points from everyone, whether they challenge or choose to stay quiet. Right now, our points leader is Casey, so you get to start with your 90 seconds. All right. Uh, you know, it's funny. This came up uh, in the news the other day uh, about whether or not we should be allowing kids to trick or treat. Los Angeles pulled the plug on Halloween and there was such a trick or treating in Halloween. You can't cancel Halloween, but there was such a major backlash against it that they actually reversed course and said that uh, trick or treating is not banned, but it's not recommended. And I am sitting here right now as someone who has spent the day uh, pretty much in hell because we have been waiting for my 12 year old son's COVID test to come back. And it really got me thinking about whether or not I want my child going door to door, taking candy from people, not knowing where this candy has been, not knowing whether or not they're practicing safe policies when it comes to dealing with COVID-19 and putting it in my kid's bag to bring it back home to my house. It's one thing when you're going out to school or going to places where they can sometimes control at a time, no, I still got uh, about 30 I seconds. Heard <laughs> I heard a bell. Anyway, it's one thing when you uh, have stuff going on uh, in uh, at schools enough where they can control contact and they can control distance. When you're walking door to door and you're going to somebody's house and you don't have any clue what's going on there, I don't know that uh, trick or treating this year should be outright banned, but I certainly think that as a parent, we should take a close look on whether or not we're going to allow our kids to go trick or treating. And this year, I'm not going to let my son, I'm just going to buy him a bunch of candy and uh, we'll have fun at home. All right, Hayes with a challenge, 45 seconds. Well, I appreciate the argument, and normally I would agree with him in terms of safety and precautions as far as like making sure our kids are not catching coronavirus. It's super important. But in this case, I'm going to make the argument that you should not have to cancel trick-or-treating because while, you know, the candy uh, and being handed out is, you know, important, that can be resting outside in a bowl. You can come up, take one, and leave. No direct contact. Contactless delivery of candy, much like Uber Eats, etc. Also, uh, COVID doesn't stick to, like, items as well as we thought at first. So if you have the bowl out there, what is important? for protecting against COVID though? Masks. And what are there a ton of on Halloween? Masks. In fact, more kids will be wearing masks on Halloween than at any other point in the year, making it possibly the safest time of the entire 2020 for our children. All right, Casey, you now get to rebut your only challenge. Okay, a couple of things here. First, uh, even if you leave the to the, the uh, candy outside, that's even a worse problem because you don't know who's been touching it, how they've been touching it. It's just a bowl of uh, candy sitting outside. So I don't want to trust my kid or trust somebody else with my kid's safety when it comes to picking up candy. Secondly, 
if you're going to compare the kind of mask that we need to use in order to be safe from the coronavirus to a uh, creature from the Black Lagoon mask or some other kind of mask that doesn't have the same type of protections, I don't know what I can do for you. There are specific types of masks. They're the kind that work for people. And in order to uh, keep your kids safe, you have to follow the protocols. And Halloween masks are not on the protocols. All right, and Anthony, late challenge, so I'm sorry, it's a little too late. So, Katie, uh, scores for our combatants. Oh, okay. Um, I was taking notes. All right, Casey, I really loved your argument overall. I, I certainly respect it and understand it, and I know the, the fear that you can have when you're worried that a loved one um, could test positive for COVID. Um, so I, I'm going to give you a 15 overall for the, for the um, engagement. Um, but Hayes, I also really appreciated your point of view. Contactless trick-or-treating, totally an option. Um, the thing is, like, as somebody that gives out candy, I like seeing the kids um, in their costumes. So I would almost rather that they got to, like, the edge of my driveway and just, like, threw it at them. So I'm going to give you a 10 because it was very reasonable. Um, but, again, in case you get a 15. Anthony, you know, you tried. You, get, you came in late, but you tried. I'd always rather somebody try than not, so I'm giving you a 7. Oh, I hate to go down looking again. All right, appreciate that, Katie. All right, uh, up next, it is Anthony. Your 90 seconds starts now. <sighs> Katie and everybody listening to Master Debaters, I believe that the people who... <laughs> who I believe the people who are upset with Cardi B's WAP song and criticizing it for being too explicit shouldn't criticize her artistry, but more so direct their energy and frustration at the lack of censorship on the internet and YouTube and various other platforms. Now, we talked earlier, you mentioned you were an Eminem fan. So it's, you understand when it comes to the line between vulgarity and artistry. We, ooh, we've been listening to very vulgar lyrics since the early 2000s. And also we've been listening to various female MCs deliver very bogus vulgar lyrics since the early 2000s, dating back to Little Kim, going back to Foxy Brown, of course, Nicki Minaj. Now, a lot of people are complaining that <laughs> Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion are being bad examples to young women who are listening to the music, but as a person who understands what it's like to start with a deficit, Cardi B is none more than a victim of her circumstances. She should be a story that could be told to generations going forward as the first female MC to have a multi-platinum single followed up by a 2020 number one single as well too. So I believe once again, that people are mad at the internet and the censorship, not Cardi B. All right, Casey, you have the first challenge, 45 seconds. Okay, first you said that uh, there's uh, that people should really or, or are really mad at the lack of censorship on the internet. There shouldn't be censorship anywhere. We don't live in a censorship society. We're not burning books out in the street and we're not telling people what they can and can't think. What you really need here is more parental control. If your child wants to listen to that kind of music, it's up to you as a parent to be involved and make sure you know what your kids are listening to. And if you're okay with that, that's okay as long as you're having conversations with your kids. But I don't think Cardi B should just be your praised because she made a filthy record it is filthy i don't care if it's out there but it's me as a parent and it's my responsibility to go to my kids and say this is what it says this is what it's about and you can and can't listen to it and it's my house my rules 
Hayes, your 45 second challenge. Oh, I actually do agree in the sense that Cardi should be able to make whatever music she wants. It's her artistic expression, her and Megan Thee Stallion both. But the problem is this song does, is pretty filthy to the point that it needs a radio edit. And not just a radio edit, a very heavy radio edit. And as we all know, radio edits are the music version of watching The Big Lebowski on basic cable. No one really wants to do that. Or watching, say, Pulp Fiction on the USA Networks. You don't want to see a movie where they're talking about brother fudgers, etc. That's just no fun. And so I feel like if you're going to make that kind of song, make it so that this can still be played on the radio and enjoyed by the masses just take it to the edge play with it play with it a little plus in the current version we had to hear ben shapiro read out his version of it and i really regret that that happened anthony you have 45 seconds to rebut them both i appreciate both you guys opinions very much and they kind of do play into each other as a person who works in the radio the benefit of our censorship is prolonging our relationships with our advertisers Whereas YouTube and Instagram, they have a censorship issues with preventing them to working with follow advertisers. And a lot of times mothers are fans who wanna watch the Big Lebowski censored. So I believe that. Now, I do believe that they should be more frustrated with uh, the internet because of what Casey stated in regards to being a parent, the free reign of explicit lyrics is at the tips of their fingers, where we have to use to work to get parental explicit albums. Word to Tipper Gore. Mm. Katie, what scores you want to give out? Oh, gosh. I was still taking notes. Okay, uh, Anthony, very, very good point. Um, although I have not listened to WAP yet. I'm sorry, it's been a really tough quarantine. Uh, overall, I do respect Cardi B and her, and her music and her ability to, to really um, basically trailbreak trailblaze as a woman um, coming from such limited circumstances to where she is today. Very impressed. Um, Hayes, you brought up a really good point about the, the radio edit and also, um, you know, the, the adjustments to the lyrics. And, and Casey, you brought up a, a very, very valid point about parental control, which I really think is what this actually boils down to. It's parental control. It's not censorship by itself. Anthony, I'm going to give you 10 points because I think overall the topic is is a good one, so I'm, I'm certainly not going to deduct or, or go, go lower than 10. Hayes, I'm going to give you five because radio edit, it's, it's a good point. But as someone that, um, you know, personally doesn't swear as much, I regularly listen to the radio edits of multiple songs, love them. Um, Casey, you're getting uh, 15 points again just because I felt like your argument was the most effective. All right, next up, Hayes, your turn for your 90-second presentation. So I believe that paleontology is, in fact, the worst science, because why? It is a liar science. I say this as someone who's jilted, scorned, led astray by paleontology, because like so many of my generation, I loved Jurassic Park. All of them, all the way through. I saw it in theaters when I was five, way too young. So for years, when asked, I would tell people as a small child, I wanted to be a paleontologist. Who wouldn't? Dinosaurs are awesome. But when it came time for college, I looked at the requirements for a paleontology major. And you know what most of the classes were about? Rocks. Effing rocks. Turns out paleontology is basically geology in disguise. And I feel like that's not really the case for most other sciences. You take astronomy, you're learning about stars. A lot of physics in there, but at the core, you're talking about stars and plants and everything else up there in space. Biology, you're learning about bodies and life and all that jazz. Chemistry, how to make drugs. But paleontology, how many classes do you think are about dinosaurs? Answer, very few. Because here's the other thing. Ah. Oh, because here's the other thing. It also turns out that like 
all of the life on Earth so far, dinosaurs make up very little of it. So yeah, no, as it happens, most of the various things that lived on Earth and were solid up to make through the process of sediment filling their bones, leaving an impression as the rest of the organic material fell away, shellfish, maybe some fish. That's the majority of paleontology. And as someone who felt very betrayed by that fact, I got to say paleontology is the worst science at this point. There is no redemption for it, no matter how good the Jurassic Park movies are or how fun dinosaurs are to learn about. All right, Casey, first challenge, 45 seconds. Hey, it sounds to me like you're more angry that paleontology didn't turn out to be what you saw in Jurassic Park. I guess you were hoping that you would go out and there would be T-Rexes and Velociraptors chasing you around. Uh, Jurassic Park was a movie. It was entertainment. It was a great movie. I enjoyed every one of the movies in the uh, franchise thus far, and I take my son to see them. But I don't really believe that's what paleontologists do any more than I believe that archaeologists run around with bull whips like Indiana Jones does. I think it was just entertainment. And I think you need to uh, put your sorrow aside a little bit about the hopes that you would be a, uh, a paleontologist that actually touched real dinosaurs and realized that you were watching a movie and there's no reason to judge an entire science that's done a lot of good because you didn't care for the entertainment value of the movie. All right, Anthony, 45 second challenge. Do not stop at Jurassic Park has the only piece of 90s pop culture that led us to astray as what we thought paleontology really was. The only paleontologist I ever grew up around or even knew of was Ross Geller. Okay, mm. now my Ross Geller is that Ross Geller portrayed paleontology to me as hanging out in a coffee shop, being in a nice fancy apartment in New York. He was actually a paleontologist by the age of 30 and had a tenure at NYU. That's what I thought paleontology was. Don't stop at Jurassic Park for ruining this great sign for us. Dig deeper, if you may and get down to the root of this. Maybe there's something deeper this, because why is Ross Geller and that mosquito and words of Jeff Goldblum? All right, Hayes, 45 seconds to rebut your challengers. Anthony, I appreciate that. I appreciate your puns, especially. I have no bone to pick with you. Casey, though, I got to say, I, I got, I, I'm sorry that you think that I was, you know, I'm harping too hard on it because of this one fictional representation. I don't think you're coming to this from the point of view as someone who was, who had their heart broken by this field, as someone who thought, really believed that they would have joy and success in it, but only to learn that it's not at all what it seemed. I feel like as a, such a deceptive field and one that you say has brought a lot of good to this world, what good, I ask you, sir, except for the dinosaurs in the Natural History Museum, because everyone knows that when you go to the Natural History Museum, are you there for the gems? Eh, they're all right. For the stuffed animals? Kind of. You're there for the Hall of Dinosaurs, and that, I feel like, is why it's a liar science. Katie, you're not a paleontologist, right? No, but I did write a love song for my husband about a dinosaur that fell in love with a paleontologist. He was like, I know I'm kind of crazy, but it's the crazy that you dig. So I felt personally attacked by this uh, entire thing. So what scores are you giving <laughs> Mostly out? Mostly kidding, um, but but not. So, um, hey, I was going to give you a minus 20, but then you used the pun bone to pick, and I really liked it. So I brought you to minus 10. Um, Casey, I thought overall your argument was decent talking about how um, you shouldn't take a misconception from a sing single movie franchise to describe both your uh, your career aspirations and also your discussion of an entire field of science. So I gave you a 10. But Anthony, you brought up Ross Geller. I was waiting for somebody to bring up Ross Geller. Oh my God. 
Um, so I was already going to give you a 20, but then you also made the dig a little deeper pun. And so if I could have given you more points, I would have. But you get 20. Oh, all right. Accept all of that. Uh, so uh, who's going to win all this? Well, comes down to one final fight. This is Master Debaters from KTSA. From 550 KTSA and FM 1071, this is Master Debaters, the show where the best argument wins. Oh, and that argument ends right here, right now. It's a battle this week between Anthony A. Hayes-Brown and Casey Bartholomew to convince our judge, Katie, that their argument is the best argument, but now it comes down to one final fight. Closing arguments on Master Debaters. This is where it all gets decided in a five-minute melee. I will present a topic, and our three contestants will hash it out amongst themselves for five whole minutes. No more, no less. At the sound of the final buzzer, our judge will give each combatant up to 100 points. We're going to take away up to 100 points, depending on their mood. The person with the fewest points will get a 15-second head start. Everyone else can join after the bell has rung. Right now... The person with the fewest points is Hayes. So the topic, it was one of those only in Florida escapes from the law, and it almost worked. In a scene right out of Miami Vice, a man wanted by U.S. Marshals was pulled over Monday night near a sandbar on Miami's Biscayne Bay. But he jumped onto a jet ski, and he was off. And that's when the fun began. Three law enforcement boats were in full pursuit. Seen in a video posted on the Only in Dade Instagram account. Cops did catch up, but so far we only know that the man was arrested, and we don't know what for. Peter King, CBS News, Orlando. So what do you say would be the most, quote-unquote, Florida police chase possible? Hayes, you get to start with a 15-second head start. It starts now. So I think that the most Florida police chase would have to be a swamp boat. There is no question about it. The Everglades are in Florida. And given like how important they are to Florida's culture and the, you know, uh, I think that if you have a banned boat, I think a chase from the with, running from police with that, that would be absolutely amazing. Jet ski is fine, but a fan boat? Absolutely. You're dodging alligators in the Everglades. You're making your way through the, through the dense uh, mangroves or whatever they have there trying to escape the law. I think that is like, are none absolutely the top florida chase you could have now actually it depends on what you are being chased for i think that if you if it's florida i think that given their very very great public records laws we'd be able to know exactly what they are they were in trouble for once they were arrested i think that if you have uh maybe if you are you're smuggling a mickey mouse head or counterfeit disney dollar or something like that that would make it the most florida of police chases that's very stereotypical. I think what you need to have for the most uh, authentic Florida chase is you need to have a long line of elderly people in really big cars not obeying the speed limit by meaning they're going way under it, running stop signs, parking uh, within uh, different spots, over different spots and the like. I really think more uh, stereotypical in this day and age would probably be senior citizens uh, on a slow speed chase for an extended period of time driving home from the uh, pharmacist with their latest medications. I think that's that, that, that's really what I do. I can't really get behind that. Having lived there. I, 
I can't get behind that because Florida is an exciting place. It's high energy, even in this very muggy heat. It's a place where, you know, things happen. A lot of things happen. I have not. I've been at least twice. And I do believe that in in this, they have hurricanes come through. It's a very exciting place. I think that I've watched Miami Vice and Miami Vice tells me one thing. It's that's a lot of excitement. I think that a slow speed chase. I lived in Florida for a couple of years, and I'm here to tell you that uh, Miami Vice is a TV show, and spring break happens once a year. 99.9% of the time, you're dealing with elderly people from uh, back east who have come down here to take advantage of the sun and are flouting the uh, traffic laws and driving slow and zipping, crossing over the lines of the traffic lines and running the red lights or stopping in the middle of the intersection of the red light. I can't tell you how many times I had to wave some elderly person on because they weren't exactly obeying where you were supposed to and maybe not supposed to stop when it came down to uh, any sort of uh, actual chase in Florida. I, th- I think you'd be better but off but with the You've mentioned a long line. You've got to really describe what the crime is that the police are actually after them for. You've got to describe what the actual like chase is about. Why are the police after these elderly people? There's no crime at play here. That's just a day. That's just a normal day in Florida from the way you describe it. So what is the actual problem? What's the, why are the cops on the scene actively chasing down these elderly people, this line of elderly people? Without that, it's not a chase. It's like you said, just the stereotypical day in Florida. So I'm really failing to make see, their, see your argument here. Well, I think if we dial it back a step, he is right with the senior citizens there. But if we're talking chase, COVID, I think we've got to talk 45th in a golf cart sitting next to COVID might be the most Florida chase that could be going on right now. I also... I'm sorry, you say sitting next to COVID, like next to like a a, a particle of COVID? Yes, like a particle of COVID. Literally him and the emoji driving down. (laughs) I don't know what highway is out there listening to Ply's music, heading their way to a Miami Heat game, actually. Or better yet, probably heading to the bubble. Oh, no, never mind. You don't go. You cannot go to the bubble. No, I I see your point there. I really appreciate the fact that you brought 45 into all this and the fact that he, in a police chase with him, would I'm sure be very exciting. A lot of live coverage, especially if he's like buddy, buddy with the coronavirus as it's all happening. But I got to stick to my point. I think that if you are in the Everglades, you're dodging gators, you are out there like Tiffany Haddish uh, promoting the Everglades. That's, oh, yeah, that was New Orleans. Strike that from the record. Thank you. I still believe, though, that the best Florida example would be counterfeit counterfeit Disney dollars, something that made the mouse mad because it is clear that much like in Anaheim, Florida, it, when it comes to their property, Disney rules all in Central Florida. So I think that is what you need to really up the level in terms of like how stereotypical Florida this all can be. Well, I just popped back in, so I don't know what was said while I was gone, but I lost everything. But if we're dealing with stereotypes, Florida is the most stereotypical state out there. And I truly believe that if you're looking for uh, the hardcore stereotype that is actual reality, again, having lived in Florida for several years, I uh, I am here to tell you that the uh, speedboats and the uh, airboats and the alligators, all that stuff is for TV. It's there. But uh, more times than not, you're going to be dealing with a... Uh, with a slow caravan of elderly people out there driving really slow and uh, almost comically so. Or with the dude who's I not maintain, though. <laughs> you kind of mix in the New York accents, too, right? It's, it's old people with New York accents, right? Oh, absolutely. Rudy Giuliani, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mostly people from Ohio, believe it or not. Yeah, I, I can down in that. Fort Myers. Ohio! We're back to them being terrible. <laughs> so, Katie, uh, what do you think about that five-minute melee? What points you want to give out to everyone? 
Well, you know, so as you mentioned the topic, I actually wrote down some buzzwords for myself that I was hoping to hear. I'm going to first recite out the buzzwords because I think that some of you will um, be excited for what you see. So my buzzwords were swamp boats. Well, actually, I was thinking sandal, but swamp boats, very similar. Old people, alligators, and Carol Baskin. Now, um, oh. Carol Baskin is not mentioned, which is fine. Um, but so nobody gets points related to Carol Baskin. I'm sorry. Um, so, Hayes, you did a really good job of bringing up the swamp boats and the alligators because, yes, I think one of the most stereotypical cases would be, um, you know, something related to that. Uh, but then, Casey, you brought up elderly people, the Q-tips, if you will, the ones where, you you know, you can't actually see their faces, but you see their white hair, like, and then they're kind of, like, drifting back and forth. Um, so, you know, very good point. Anthony, you didn't mention any of the buzzwords, but I really did appreciate the golf cart chase. Um, you think about a lot of old people that live in Florida, they just take their golf, their golf carts all around their neighborhood rather than, you know, doing anything else. Um, the one thing, Hayes, when you mentioned that the, the mouse is in Anaheim, Florida, I believe you actually mistake, you, you, you mistook the, the name. Oh, it's Anaheim, California and Orlando, Florida. Disney in Florida is in Buena Vista, Florida, and Disney in California is in Anaheim. So for that, I actually deducted a few points just because you should be geographically correct, especially when you were just so against paleontology previously. I figured you'd have respect for the other science and geography. Uh, I feel like here. if we play so the tape overall, back, then it will say California. I wouldn't argue with the judge. I'm just saying. I'm going to throw that out. And, and just as the host, I mean, this was about Florida. Just saying. This is about Florida. Uh, it's about Florida. So, um, but I did like the idea of that the, the, the mouse is like the mob, and I wrote that down, um, although you didn't use those exact words. So, points are as follows. Um, Anthony, I'm going to give you 33 points for golf cart chase because I liked it, uh, but there wasn't, wasn't much beyond that. Hayes, I'm going to give you 75 points because you really brought it, brought it good. It would have been 90, but again, you lost the, the 15 due to the um, Anaheim, California issue there. Um, and then Casey... Very good point with two tips. Um, I'm giving you 60 points. Thank you. All right. Well, after a very, very, very brief discussion, that's in context, right? Brief, long. That's some of the most controversial topics going on in the land right now. It is time to name this week's Master Debater. In third place, with 115 points, Anthony A. In second place, with 128 points, Hayes. And our winner, in first place, with 156 points, this week's Master Debater is Casey. 60 seconds Thank to you. celebrate starts now. What, what am I doing now? You're celebrating. You're celebrating. Oh, you're me. 60 uh, seconds. Well, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I thought, uh, Katie, I thought you did a fantastic job. I thought you were very fair. Uh, guys, uh, I thought some of your arguments were terrific. Uh, I, I really wish more than anything else out of today's show, I wish I had been the one to come up with the Ross Geller angle for Jurassic Park. Uh, so I have to give kudos for that one. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, and uh, so, so congratulations to you guys on that one. Uh, but uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I hope to be uh, asked back again sometime. And uh, again, I just I, I appreciate everybody. I appreciate your arguments, and I appreciate the opportunity. I don't have sixty seconds worth of things to pat myself on the back. <laughs> well, I mean, you are the master debater. You should be able to, you know, figure something out for the next ten seconds. Uh, you know. Uh,
Uh, first off, I would like to say to Sasha and Malia, go to bed. Dad's done. You know, it's everything's great. Fantastic, right? <laughs> All right, well, that is it. A big, big thank you to our three contestants this week. Anthony A., who could be heard every weekday on the Dana Cortez Show on stations across the country, including Energy 94.1 in San Antonio, Power 98.3 in Phoenix, and Kiss 97.3 in Albuquerque. Hayes Brown, who you can hear every weekday evening on the BuzzFeed podcast News O'Clock, which you can find on most podcasting platforms. And Casey Bartholomew, who you could hear pop up on dozens of different talk stations, talk radio stations across the country, here, there, everywhere. And a big thanks as well to our judge, Katie. Master Debaters is a production of XS Studios and KTSA San Antonio. Learn more about Master Debaters online at ktsa.com slash masterdebaters or xcsfm.com where you can sign up, be a judge, and decide for yourself if these combatants are in fact the Master Debater. I'm Dennis Foley, and this has been Master Debaters, the show where the best argument wins. San Antonio's home for news and talk. On air, online, and on demand. 550 KTSA and FM 1071.